there's a uh, scrawny, bald-headed marketing guru named Seth Godin. And if you've listened to his podcasts or anything that he's read, anything that he's written, he will often be saying, people like us do things like this. And he's talking about community norms, that, that every group of people in every community have these aspects whereby if they do this, they will be rewarded, or if they do that, they will be punished. And no matter where you go, you will find these sort of norms. Uh, Google is a company that says that they value initiative and audacious goal setting. And so several years ago, when one of their executives made a business deal that was a big risk and ended up losing billions of dollars, that year the CEO called him up to the stage and asked everybody to applause, to cheer for him, because he did what was consistent with the company. At Google, people like this do things like this. But then also there's this recognition that when you're part of a group of people, you can behave in such a way that people like us don't do things like that. I didn't read the article, but across my uh, news feed came a Billings Gazette article this week that at Lockwood somebody was expelled. And I don't know any details, but I can tell you what happened. Somebody in administration say people like us don't do things like that. There's also, if you uh, have heard of the TV show Survivor, first time ever a, a contestant got kicked off the show. I don't know what happened, but I can tell you that somebody along the way said, people like us don't do things like that. And every time you find yourself in the midst of a group of people, there are rules. There are ideas about how we live and behave. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24 is John helping the Christians to understand community norms. John is going to teach us very clearly that people like us, who John has been addressing, the children of God, we do things like this. We love one another. And so what we're going to do is we're going to enter into these two worlds that John introduces us to. John's going to, in many ways, serve like a real estate agent for us this morning, taking us into two neighborhoods and letting us know what the people in these kind of neighborhoods do. And then he's going to ask us to decide which neighborhood we live in. If you've ever bought a house, you know that there are certain values that we have when we look. Uh, I looked at a, a real estate agent, and they said that the two most important decisions you make when buying a house is you look for a place with good schools and with good neighbors. I find that kind of interesting. Before you buy a house, the thing that's most important has nothing to do with the house and has everything to do with the people who live around your house. But if you've ever lived in a community, you know, yeah, that's really important. The kinds of people that you live with. I mean, imagine being taken by a real estate agent and you're taken into a neighborhood where you see more silver and brown than green in people's yards. And, and you see neighbors who are hiding behind curtains and you see bars on window and you see what you hope are, are dead cars or maybe they're their functional cars scattered up and down the street. And you might say, this is not exactly the kind of a neighborhood that I want to live in. But then your real estate agent takes you to a neighborhood where you see green grass and you see kids playing outside. You see neighbors talking to one another. And you might say, this is the kind of a neighborhood I want to live in. And so John is going to ask us as our real estate agent, which of these neighborhoods do you want to live in? And he takes us into the first neighborhood. And he says that we must not be like Cain who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. Cain is a representative of the first neighborhood. It's a world where people are under the influence of the evil one. 
People like this, children of the devil, are going to do things like that. They have an attitude of hatred, and they do acts of violence, in this case, murder, against one another. Now, we would wonder why would Cain have killed his brother? And if you were doing a criminal investigation, you have to come up with a motive, right? And, and so it's important to know why somebody would kill someone else. Now, I am the youngest in my family, and so I'm kind of a specialist in this. Because my brothers often said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I knew exactly how to get them into that state. You could steal something precious to them and then put icing on the cake and say, you didn't do it. You could embarrass them or embarrass someone they care about. You could say something that you know that would hurt them, or you could just generally be a nuisance every day that you're, since you were born until you're 18 years old. And so we expect that at the root of this motive of hatred and this desire to murder someone is going to be something awful or terrible, an injustice that happened. But here's exactly what John says was the motive for the murder. Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Righteousness as a motive for murder? Does that make any sense to anyone? And at first, that might seem really distant and far away until you begin to think about what it's like to be around people who are always good and always righteous and always get the attention. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? My best friend in high school was good at everything. Athlete of the year. He, 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 we would have these spring banquets and these fall banquets, and he would always have a date. And he got good grades. And I'll have to tell you that there were occasions, even though we were on the same basketball team, when he missed the game-winning shot, there was a part of me who was like, yes. When we were on the same badminton team, when he would miss a shot, there was a part of me that thought, this is good for me. When a girl broke up with him, and he came to talk about it, there was a part of me that felt good about that. Have you ever been in a situation where you're around somebody who the good always seems to go to them, where they live in a way that's righteous? And see, John is going to talk about hatred and murder as a key feature of this neighborhood that the world lives in. It's a neighborhood that is ruled by hate. It's a neighborhood whereby you think that to do good or get good things, you have to siphon that from the good things that someone else is getting in order for that to be deposited in your account. The only way you're going to get good is by taking it from someone else. Because if you wait for good to come to you in any other way, it never will come. And so if somebody else gets credit, what do you want? You want a piece of that credit. If they get money, you want some of that money. If they have talents, you want some of those talents. And so other people are seen as threats. They're seen as commodities. They're seen as objects that simply get in your way from getting what you want to have. And so any good or success or anything that like that that comes to them, you see as a personal affront. It somehow impacts you. See, at the center of this neighborhood is hatred and self-interest. So anyone who gets in my way, I have to take something from them. And I think by taking something from them, I'm now going to somehow receive good. So I might manipulate them. I might hurt them. I might sabotage them. I might feel like if they suffer somehow in some way, that makes me feel better. And so I want them to feel what I feel. And ultimately, hatred is about destroying someone else's life. And John will tell us that all who hate a brother or sister are murderers. 
And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. John, as he talks about eternal life, he's talking about it in a way that's very different than we often talk about it. He's talking about something that abides in the present life of someone. And if we have this murderous attitude, this hatred towards one another, whether we have actually participated in the act of murdering someone, we are seeking ways to destroy others' lives. And that's not consistent with the eternal life that resides within us. And so what John is saying is that people like that, children of the devil, do things like that, murder and hate one another. But this is the community that John is saying we are not a part of that community. You can express your hate in a way to bring destruction to others in all sorts of different ways. It can be something like a lie. That you tell that lie so that that person might not receive that promotion because for whatever reason you don't want to see them succeed in that way. Or you might do this when somebody compliments somebody else. You all of a sudden it has to somehow be about you. There are all sorts of ways we participate in this form of hatred where we try to steal or suck life from others. And so people like us don't do things like that because we have eternal life abiding in us. And so John says, do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Because the world has always hated those who are righteous. They want to bring destruction to the righteous to somehow get something for themselves. And so John has brought us into this first neighborhood and said, here's what this neighborhood looks like. And I hope it would be pretty clear by now, all of us would say, well, that's not the kind of neighborhood that I want to live in. That's not the kind of community that I want to be a part of. And John is saying, no matter where you live, whichever these neighbors, you will receive the hatred of the world because of your own righteousness. But how do you know when you've moved into a different neighborhood? How do you know when you're living by a new set of values and a new set of norms? John will say in 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides or remains in death. So to be clear, love is not the way that we enter into this new neighborhood. Love is an expression of the fact that we are living in this new neighborhood. So, so love is not like a currency that you go and get and then you go to God who owns this neighborhood and say, see, I've earned enough currency to buy my way into this neighborhood. Instead, what John is saying is this is like a zip code indicator. And if you love one another, it is clear the zip code that you're living in, a zip code that is one that is full of life and it is full of redemption. And so John is going to take us into this new neighborhood. And he's going to show us around and he's going to help us to meet people who live in this zip code. But the very first thing that John does is he introduces us to the guy who founded the community and who's president of the homeowners association. And this person named Jesus says that there's a vacancy and you're welcome to move into the neighborhood. But you must know we have high expectations for those who live in this community. And you might say, yeah, yeah, I know high expectations. Former homeowners associations could only let the grass be this long. And Jesus shakes his head and says, no, that's nothing about what we're talking about. People like us do things like this. And what are those kinds of things, we ask Jesus? And he says that, that we are to, number one, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another just as he has commanded us. These are the kinds of things that people in this community do. Christians like us do things like this. We trust in Jesus and we show love to one another. 
And here's how we know what love looks like. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. John uses language that's very active and very passive at the same time. It's almost language that's like saying, I'm waving a white flag and I'm giving up some kind of right I have. If we go back to the Gospel of John, we would find this word used four times in the story of the Good Shepherd. What does the Good Shepherd do? He lays down his life. In fact, the Good Shepherd says in verse 18 of chapter 10 in John, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And then we'll find just a few chapters later, Jesus, when he takes off his outer garment and he lays it down. Jesus is, is prefiguring what he will do on the cross. As an active person, he lays down his life. See, this new neighborhood that John's brought us into is completely opposite than the neighborhood that's founded by Cain. One about hatred, this one is founded on love. And it's not about getting something from someone else. We find that this is a neighborhood whereby we will give what is mine in order to deposit into someone else's account. It's a neighborhood that is ruled by self-giving love. And love looks at others in a very special way. Love is willing to deplete its own account to take its own resources and deposit it into somebody else's account so that they may be built up, so that they may receive the goodness and the blessing. So when good comes to another, whether that be success or, or any of those sort of things, the whole community celebrates because that's what the community wants, is the success and the good of others, and even a willingness to put down one's own self to lift up life. So when we look at this neighborhood, we come to find that love will create life. And those who become a part of this community, they will receive the flourishing of this life. Now, as we talk about the cross, I think one thing that's very easy for us to do as Christians is to talk about it like a spectator sport. That we love what he did. We, we worship at his feet for, for that good sacrifice. That we applaud it from a distance as we, as we remember and as we talk about it. But John is going to snap us back into reality when he finishes in, in the passage that we read earlier. He says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. All of a sudden, Christianity has gone from a spectator sport to one requiring our full participation. We have some friends who went to Hawaii and did a luau, and when they came back, we asked them how it was. And they said it was all great and fine when they were there listening to, to somebody playing the ukulele, and it was great when they were eating that pig that was roasted on the stick, and it was wonderful when there were people up there doing the, the, the dances on the stage until Eric, our friend, said somebody pointed a finger and said, come on up on stage. Now, fortunately for Eric, he wasn't raised in the church, and at least he knew how to dance a little bit. But it was still dramatically embarrassing as he shared the story about that. Now, if I were there, what I would have done is I would have crossed my hands, given the iciest glare, like, you better pick someone else because I'm not moving look. Because I'm not going to participate. And there is a piece of me when I read 1 John 3.16 that wants to do the same thing to John. I mean, I will watch all that stuff about the cross and about giving up life and about sacrifice. But whenever you say, all right, Craig, it's your time to come on stage and you're going to learn to do this. I want to look at John and say, you better pick someone else because I'm not going to do it. But John is saying for the, the kinds of people who follow this kind of Christ, we ourselves don't just look at the cross as spectators, but we become participants as we die to our 
ourselves. And John calls us up on stage. And John doesn't even suggest that this might be a good idea. The language that's used is we ought is very similar language to we must. This is a non-negotiable of living in this neighborhood. We don't say, hey, I will receive the love of the cross, but I'm not going to give the love of the cross. We must participate because people like us do things like this. And this is what John has been saying throughout his letter is that whatever Christ did, we also do. So in 2.6, he says, we walk just as he walked. In 3.3, we are pure just as he is pure. In 3.7, just as he is righteous, we too are righteous. See, everything we see witnessed on the cross and in the life of Christ, John is saying should be witnessed in our own lives too. And then John does something that I think is masterful. Maybe the Holy Spirit's got us figured out a little bit, which is when it comes to to, to very audacious and bold and big things, when you ask somebody to say, would you do this? Everyone always says yes, don't they? I mean, lay down your life for someone. Would you lay down your life for someone? I better, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, I would do that. I think about the, the company, you know, the boss of a Fortune 500 company who says, if this company were on the verge of bankruptcy, I'd go without my pay just to make it work. And how many of you would do the same? Fortune 500 company, what's the likelihood of that? Sure. Yeah, I'll be a team player. Or the captain of the basketball team says, if we were in the NBA Finals and you knew another player was better suited for this game, would you give up your spot and let him play in the game-winning game? And, of course, everyone raises their hand. But what if it was something more tangible, more immediate, and more specific? Who's going to raise their hands then? What if the boss of the Fortune 500 company says, this week we'd like everybody to donate five hours of company that we're not, five hours that the company's not going to pay you for? How many people raise their hands and say, sure, I'll do that? What if when the basketball coach says, we need somebody this week to sit out Thursday's game so this guy can have a chance? Who's going to be the first person to raise their hand? That's what John's doing. He's saying, you know what? The cross is so big and audacious that I'm afraid you're not going to realize the small, tangible ways I'm calling you into obedience. And so then John makes it very specific and immediate when he says, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? And I want to make sure you see what John is saying here. John said earlier, if you are a murderer, you don't have eternal life abiding in you. And now he's saying, if you are miserly with your money, if you hold your worldly goods tight-fistedly, then you don't have the love of God abiding in you. So at the beginning of the passage, you can feel awfully good about yourself, right? Mm, Yeah, I don't think I've murdered anyone lately. At least I didn't do it intentionally. I'm good. I'm fine. And now what I do with my pocketbook... Now maybe all of us start to realize there's more love I need to show and display to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's what John calls us to. Calls us to love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. I think as Christians, we do an amazing job in word and speech. What did we talk about this morning in our Bible class? Oh, confession! Do you have any good comments? I had great comments and wonderful things that were shared. That was a great class. What's next? Now we need to act 
as people who confess. And all of a sudden, that's a lot harder. But the gospel is never about getting you to think something new and leaving it at that. It's never getting you to affirm something new and leaving it at that. The gospel is about getting you to think and affirm something new so that you'll live in a new way. So I want us to imagine as we finish this morning what it would look like is if we as a community who meet here at 10th and Alderson, that this became the norm, love for one another. And I think we need to be honest, there are places you can look around and you can see that happening right now. Uh, I think of, uh, of our elders who take time to visit people in their homes, who go visit people uh, who are sick, who pray over people, who take what is probably the, the most exciting time of their every two weeks, an hour and a half of meeting together, and they volunteer all of that. That's a way of showing love to one another. I think about people who take time out of their week to prepare a kid's class, to teach our children about God, to help establish a firm faith for them. They're expressing this love for one another. I think about people who take time out of their weeks to, to write letters to people or pray for people and then send them a text. They're showing love to one another. But what if we were to take all of the resources we have and be willing to deplete those resources so that they could be deposited into somebody else's account. What would that look like? Maybe we'd look like a church that we find in Acts 2, 44 through 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would share their possessions and goods and distribute their proceeds to all as any had need. So this week, what I'm going to ask you to do is to capitalize on some small opportunity to share a resource you have. It might be intellectual resource. It might be financial resource. It might be a resource of time. It might be a resource of education. Any sort of resource you have and find a way to deposit it in someone else's account. And as we live out that way, we are living with the reality that people like us, children of God, do things like this. And if somebody were to ask you about it, to say, well, why did you do that? What was that all about? That, then maybe you just have this quick ready-made answer that is simply, well, people like us simply do things like this. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And as we go, trying to show these small acts of love, I pray that we go knowing of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you want to respond in any way this morning, there'll be some folks in the back who'll be happy to talk with you or pray with you. But I just invite you to respond while we stand and sing this next song together. Love